the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we all know this parable pretty well. There are the four different kinds of soil, the path, the rocks, the thorns, and the good soil. Those on the path were trodden, and the rocks, they withered, and the thorns, they were choked out, and only in the good soil did it grow and was multiplied. We tend to think of this parable in terms of fixed states, being very static. Like we start sorting out, okay, which one am I? Where am I in this? Or where are other people? It's almost, I think of like a coin sorter. You sort out the quarters, the nickels, the dimes, and the pennies. We sort out the four different kinds here. Where is everyone in this? And that's a little bit of our Protestant inheritance. The idea of our moment being saved as being clearly defined. And we can sort everyone out. There's a temptation even to say, well, I'm already done. But actually, as we know, it's not static at all. It's dynamic. We're moving from one type of soil to the other. There's growth. There's also regression. So the bigger question is, what is our soil? That's what this parable is pointing at. We know there's only one good kind of soil because it's called the good soil. As for the rest... It means spiritual peril and even death. So where is our soil? The soil is within our heart. In our heart, we have good and evil. In our heart, we have all kinds of desires, good and bad. There's a beautiful and famous quote from St. Macarius the Great. He says, the heart itself is but a small vessel, yet dragons are there. And there are also lions. There are poisonous beasts and all the treasures of evil. But there too is God. The angels, the life, and the kingdom. The light and the apostles. The heavenly cities and the treasuries of grace. All things are there. This small vessel of our heart can contain many different kinds of things and many different states of soil, if we take the parable as it is. Our heart can be impervious to God. This is what is called so frequently in the Gospels, a hard heart, a hardness of heart. Isaiah says this, Christ was quoting it in the Gospel of Matthew at one point. Isaiah said, the prophet says, The hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. This is the exchange. The hardness of heart is no healing. The soft heart, the good soil, is where the healing occurs. So how do we make our hearts hard? Many ways. Anything that is a contraction of our heart, that is a reducing, a focus upon the self, a turning away from the other, turning away from God, everything that is towards us is a hardening of our hearts. And in this way, our hearts become harder and harder and harder because it's always dynamic, it's always moving. So the opposite movement is a movement outward toward others, towards the needs of others, the cares of others, and towards God, most important. And then this is the way that we soften our hearts. But we're not able to, we're not alone in this endeavor. 
because in fact God seeks to soften our hearts. He talks about the hardness of heart because he, that's what he doesn't want. He wants to soften our hearts, and he does soften our hearts, even if we're not actively seeking to soften our hearts. How does he do this? Through trials, through struggles. This is the way in which God softens our hearts. St. Tikhon of Zadonsk said, Temptations and trials show what hides in the heart of man. Temptation is similar to the medicine called an emetic. An emetic reveals what is hidden in the stomach. Do any of you know what an emetic is? Makes you throw up. That'll reveal what's in your stomach. All right. So trials, he's saying, are like a medicine that makes you throw up. They reveal what is hidden in the stomach. So temptations and trials make manifest what is inside a man. Thus, vainglory becomes apparent through the deprivation of glory. Avarice becomes apparent through the deprivation of riches. Envy through the success of one's neighbor. And anger through disappointment. If then you fall into various temptations, O Christian, this all happens by God's permission for your great benefit that you may thereby know what is hidden in your heart, and so knowing it, you may correct yourself. God desires fertile soil, and so he is using the struggles that we face in our lives as a way in which he is tilling the soil, if you will, our internal garden. <clears throat> if you imagine for a moment dry and parched land, I grew up in Modesto, in Central Valley, California, which you probably all know is big farming land. But the Central Valley is actually a desert. They get less than 10 inches of rain a year. So if you didn't do anything, you would have desert land, dry, dead land, parched. So imagine that for a moment. And what does it take to cultivate that into good soil? First, you really need to give it a good drenching. You gotta get it wet. You can't have dry, dead soil trying to raise plants. Then after that, you need to plow it, turn it over. Whatever weeds might be on the top have to be turned under. And then after that, the fun part is the manure. Got to add the fertilizer to cultivate the soil some more. And then finally, you till it so that you can put in the seeds. So if I imagine that as my heart, how does that feel? How does it feel? these trials of my life, to be drenched, to be transformed from what was completely dry into something that is seeping with wetness. So I'm transformed by God through these trials. And that plowing is getting down to the deeply entrenched passions within me and turning them over, rooting them out. And then comes the manure. Because as uh, uh, St. Uh, Nikolai Velomirovich said in his beautiful prayer, a prayer for my enemies. Bless, O Lord, my enemies. He makes the important point, which is that through our enemies, through the things that we find to be rotten, horrible things in our life, we are sanctified. So that manure of our life, those people that are the constant frauds and poking and frustrations in our lives, they are sanctifying us, if we have the eyes to see that, if we can see, like St. Nikolai points out, that, in fact, these are the people that draw us close to God because the people who love us and treat us well don't actually draw us close to God. 
They draw us close to our own self-love and gratification. So that's the fertilizer, and then we till. We put our lives in order. You've seen a field that's tilled, you know, because it has the nice even up and down, up and down, these nice long rows. That's a tilled field, and that's, that's when our heart is fully fertile and cultivated and ready to be planted by what? By this, the word of God, the seed. The parable of the sower was read today because we're commemorating the Seventh Ecumenical Council. Now, the Seventh Ecumenical Council is the council against iconoclasm. Iconoclasts are literally icon smashers, those who would destroy the icons, remove them from the churches. So the Seventh Ecumenical Council restored icons to the right place of veneration within the church. Now, that battle continued on after the Seventh Ecumenical Council, but at that time, Empress Irene convened the council with Patriarch Tarasios, and they made the famous proclamations about the right role of veneration of icons and why we have icons, because Christ came in the flesh. But we, you might wonder, why are we reading this parable when we're commemorating the Seventh Ecumenical Council? Why the parable of the sower? Is it because we're trying to say, oh, the heretics are those thorns over there? They're the rocks that are causing the, the plants to not grow. It's not because of that. What does the gospel say? The gospel says the seed is the word of God. The word of God, of course, is Christ. And Christ comes into us. So if we have Christ coming into us, we are the image of God. In Genesis, it says, let us make man according to, in our image and according to our likeness. And that word image in Greek is ikona, icon. So another way you can translate that is let us make man in our icon. We become the icon of Christ inasmuch as Christ is in us from our creation because we are made by our creator and all the more so as we cultivate his presence within us. We can become the likeness of Christ, icons of Christ by cultivating more fertile soil in our heart. The word of God will dwell in us and we take on the attributes of Christ. Saint Macarios also said this. He said, God's tender love is ineffable. He offers himself to those who with all their faith believe that God can dwell in the human body and make it his glorious abode. God built heaven and earth to be the dwelling place of the human race, but he also built the human body and soul to make them his own abode, so that he might dwell therein and rest there as a well-kept house. Or if we were to use our parable, as a well-tilled field. This is how we become icons of Christ and why we commemorate, the, we read this reading on this day of commemoration. We can become, as the gospel says, those who hold fast to the word of God with an honest and good heart. It says an honest and good heart, which isn't the greatest translation. The, the Greek is kardia kali kagathi. And these two words, kali agathi, agathos halos. We translate both of those words into English as good. That's one way of translating it, certainly. So you don't want to say with a good and a good heart. That doesn't really make sense in English. So it makes us wonder, what is it about these two words? And why is Christ using both of these words? 
not just a heart that is kali, not just a heart that is agati, but both of these. Kalos has more of a sense of external beauty, goodness, but also goodness in sort of the right way of things, how they should appear. And agathos is more of that, that deep goodness, like God is agathos. God is good, and this is goodness, like as in upright, moral, of good character. So it's a heart that is both that beautiful kind of goodness and that kind of goodness that only comes about through character, through cultivation of virtue. Both of these together. But it also says, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bring forth fruit, forth fruit with patience. You see, how do we become a good heart? How do we become a moral and upright and a, uh, a heart that has character? A heart that has the word of God dwelling in us? We must, most importantly, turn to prayer. Prayer is where we cultivate the heart of our soul, or the, the garden of our hearts. Forgive me. Prayer is where we cultivate it. Because it is through prayer that we work through all of the external things that happen in our life, and they become sanctified. How can I really understand my enemy as my friend, as the one who's bringing me close to God, except through prayer? How can I endure the trials that I'm facing? How can I have trust in God that this virus will not forever plague us in the way that it is right now? How can I have trust in God that it's not going to be massive government intervention that's going to take over and turn our country into a communist country? How can I have trust in God in all of these things when I'm not praying? Prayer is at the heart of how we cultivate our soul. St. Ezekiel, so the priest, says, The more rain falls on the earth, the softer the ground becomes. In a similar way, Christ's holy name gladdens the earth of our heart the more we call upon it. Our soul becomes gladdened, becomes fertile soil as much as we call upon our Lord, as much as we pray. Ultimately, what is this fertile heart? It is what Psalm 50 says. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. The heart that is fertile for God is a heart that is full of repentance and humility. We cannot have a heart that receives God if it is the opposite of these. If it's full of pride, we're unable to see our sins. We must turn and have a perpetually broken and contrite heart, like Psalm 50 says. This draws God, this brings the seed of God to us. And it gives the seed of God a place to grow and multiply. But this isn't easy or quick work, as we know. And this is why the gospel also says, bring forth fruit with patience. It takes patience to cultivate the soil of our heart. It takes patience to endure trials and see them as sanctifying. It takes patience to turn away from our own self-love and our own passions and turn towards others. Patience, that word ipomoni in Greek, it comes from the, the root ipo and meno. And it means almost literally, you could translate it as to live under. Patience is when we bear things upon our shoulders. When we endure, when despite whatever is weighing us down, we continue forward. 
So our Lord knows that this takes pain. He even says in another place, by your patience, possess your souls. Because this journey is a journey towards us inhabiting our own heart. Our heart is inhabited by all these passions, by all these broken desires. And instead, we have this house that's filled with the demons. It's a big party house for them. And we're trying to kick them out so that we can possess our souls with Christ, in Christ. We can have revealed to us who Christ is within our souls. So it takes patience, but that cultivation comes through a loving God who gives us our trials so that we can be sanctified. May we continue to strive away from the path, away from the rocks, away from the thorns, until we have that good and fertile soil in which the Word of God can grow. Amen. Thank <clears throat> you.